0: So, for those of you who don't know, I'm Noel Habashi. I am um, one of the members here at Restoration Project, and I am continuing to talk about rest. This is our fourth Sunday looking at rest, Um, and we are looking at that passage. We're looking at Hebrews chapter four and what rest looks like based on that chapter. So, we're going to look at three things. What is rest? Why is it important? And how do we rest? And, and approaching this passage, I read it, and I kind of was looking at it, and, and I had my own sorts of perspectives of what rest looks like. But then I sort of had this inkling that as I'm looking at this, I don't know that this is necessarily what the author of Hebrews means by looking at rest. I, I, don't, I can't exactly tell. Like, is this what I think rest is, or is this what this is actually talking about? So do me a favor. Turn to the person beside you. Give you like 30 seconds. When you hear that sort of that imagery of rest given in that passage, what do you think of? What does that look like? What, what things come to mind? 30 seconds, go. All right, perfect. <laughs> Got it all figured out. Thanks very much. Have a good night. We're done. Um, so f- first off, we're gonna talk about, okay, what is rest? As we look at this passage in particular, and then in the context, the broader context of scripture, what is rest? So the first thing that we wanna look at is looking at a little bit more context for this book. So this is the book of Hebrews. Who is this written to? Well, this is written to Hebrews. This is written to to the Jewish people who had become followers of Christ. They had become Christians. They're probably second generation Christians, right? So they're not immediately the ones that were in contact with with Jesus. These are a little bit further down the line. And they are experiencing a lot of tension. Um, We'll get into that in a second, because um, looking at the author, right, we don't exactly know who the author of Hebrews is. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of valid reasoning for different authors, whether it was Paul, whether it was Apollos, whether it was Priscilla. Um, So for our purposes, we're going to refer to this person as the author of Hebrews, and the underlying theme throughout Hebrews is Jesus is better, right? So the author of Hebrews goes through and kind of provides different cases of why Jesus is better than Moses, why Jesus is better than Aaron, and going through, um, and that, that starts to be reflected here in this passage. And understanding that, and understanding, okay, this is the, the author's writing to the to Jews who are followers of Jesus, understanding that this is something, providing an option or an opportunity that is better than the law as they've known it. So the, the readers of this scripture are experiencing a lot of tension um, because they are so used to the laws and the rigidity of the Jewish religion, that there were laws that are outlined all throughout Old Testament. And then um, Hannah mentioned last week that Pharisees and scholars would build upon that and say okay well not just following this law but follow this law and follow this law and follow this law so there's not even a a hint of of anything related to that law. And then Jesus comes and says you know what I am the fulfillment of the law so don't worry so much about the law but instead follow Jesus and then that will be the fulfillment of the law that all of the laws are wrapped up and fulfilled in him. So this creates a lot of tension. And so for those of you who are familiar with this idea of like cognitive dissonance, right? This is something that you've always known and then all of a sudden somebody flips it on its head. So it's sort of like you're 25 and your parents mention, oh yeah, did we not mention you're adopted? Right, like something that you've all, you're like, what? (laughs) Something that you've always known to be true and then somebody says, yeah, but now it's this. And so they've gone from this setting where all of these laws and following laws are the, the way to, um, to have life, and in this context, the way to have rest. And so now the author is saying, okay, but here's the thing, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all the laws and all the rules and all of the, the um, steps that you can take yourself. So with that in mind, we, we start to look at, okay, what, what is the author here talking about rest? And so for the, the readers at that time, there probably would have been four understandings or four, four significant meanings of that idea of rest. I think a lot of us, when we come to this idea of rest, it's sort of this idea of, of not working, of the opposite of stress. But there was more, there's a more elaborate meaning provided within here. So the first piece is the seventh day of creation and a weekly Sabbath. So that's something we talked about last week. The second meeting would have been um, the idea of the promised land of Canaan. And that's something that comes up in Hebrews chapter four when they talk about uh, Joshua's rest, that Joshua led the, the Israelites into the promised land. So that was that idea of of that, that rest. And that was supposed to be the fulfillment. That was supposed to be everything. That was supposed to be they were gonna come to this promised land and everything was gonna be good. And then as we read in, in Hebrews 4, they said, yeah, but you messed it up. You disobeyed. And there wasn't that rest. And so some more rest needed to come. And then a third definition would have been peace with God now because of our relationship with Christ through faith. And then the fourth is the f- our future eternal life with Christ, and as we look at this passage in in Hebrews, it's really number three and number four that the author of Hebrews is highlighting. So this idea of peace with God now because of Christ, and the idea of our future life, our future eternal life with Christ. So it, it takes it from a um, the opposite of stress and starts to put it in a very different context that this is a, a different sort of opportunity and life that this, the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Um, so if we look at Hebrews chapter four, verse eight to 10, it says, now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. So there's some pretty, pretty strong words there, that it's, there's still an element of obedience, but it's not the, the rule following, it's the, the peace and the rest with God. Let me give you a little bit of a context here based on what we understand. So I don't know if you can see here, um, these are some stats about stress, right? So 62% of workers say their job is their main source of stress. $300 billion are estimated cost of job stress at work. One in four workers have taken a mental health day from work. 26% of workers say they were often or very burned by, uh, burned out by their work. And 25% of workers view their job as the number one stressor in their life. And in, the, in our modern context, I feel like a lot of us can look at that and be like, yeah, yeah, I get this. Either job, school, family, there are many different things in our lives that can give us stress and can be contributing factors in that. And so often I think we, we, we look at rest as this, you know, like who doesn't want to lie down in a field of green fluffy grass with blue clear skies? Maybe if people are afraid of bugs, you want you want to be in a hammock elevated or something. But often we have this idea of rest as this this time, right? Like you go, you sit in a hot tub or a sauna and that's rest. Or we, you know, you take a nice nap on a rainy day or you know, those are those those events like hey, this is this time period of rest. And we almost recharge the batteries so that, that we can deal with all the stress of the job and the work and the family and all those sorts of things. But the image that that we're getting from Hebrews chapter 4 is that it isn't just that that aspect of rest. If, if Jesus is just contributing to our rest, he's just one of a lot of other things. So here are 20 alternative approaches to stress. So in case you can't see, and you wanna take some quick notes, those things include um, yoga, tai chi, qing gong, massage, deep breathing, biofeedback, I don't know what that is, tell me what, if you later if you know what it is, EFT technique, I also don't know, light therapy, crystals or gemstones, guided imagery, um, I'm just, exercise slash sex. Um, I don't know how they ended up on the same line. Um, Energetic or reiki, reiki. Um, Yeah, (laughs) clearly, these are, yeah. Um, so, So oftentimes, I think we, the way we view Jesus as rest would just be, okay, then we'll add number 21, Jesus. Like that we add Jesus into our life to mellow us down and to give us rest. And this is Jesus is something we can come to when we're stressed out. Or Jesus is something that we can do at a certain time. But instead, we're looking at, at Jesus and the gospel, the truth of the gospel being rest. And this isn't just an activity. This is a completely different identity. That we have rest in God we have a different life. And that's, that's the crux of the gospel, is that we know the ruler of the universe. And because of that, we have rest now, and we have rest in the future. So this is, this is not just a, an event, uh, lie down in a field sort of thing. This is a 24-7, 365, and into eternity. Um, and it's, it's our complete change of identity from how we live now, that we live a different life. So we kind of talked about, okay, so that's what rest is. But why is it important, right? Great. We know Jesus. The gospel is great. So what and who cares? I had, I had a professor in grad school who mentioned, he said, if you, you have to be able to answer so what and who cares to every question. And I think there's pieces where it's a lot easier to not have to ask those sorts of questions. You know, it's easier to be like, Jesus, rest, great, got it, love it. But it's, And it's hard sometimes to really say, okay, so what? So what that we know the ruler of the universe? So who cares? Like, why does that make a difference? Why does that have any bearing on my life right now? Um, and Paul, in Philippians chapter three, does a great job of, of outlining his own life and cultural setting that I think makes a lot of sense for us now still. So in, in chapter three, verse three, it says, for we... We who worship the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. It's sort of like he's kind of saying, I'm kind of a big deal, you know? (laughs) He just kind of slides that in there. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, mm, I've got even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Again, that idea of following the law is the best thing that you can be doing. I was so zealous that that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no, no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. So the... The opportunity, the um, c- compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, he counts everything else as, uh, as, uh, as garbage. Translators kind of took a little bit of the wussy way out here. I mean, this is, he uses a little bit more colorful language than garbage, um, talking about excrement and <laughs> things that I don't want to say in church because my mother's going to listen to this later on. But he's saying that compared to the glorious riches of knowing Christ his Lord. Everything else is garbage. That that's the the opportunity, the rest that we have all all the time. And whether that's when things are going well and great and whether things are going hard and miserable, um, it's, it's freedom for today And it's also hope for tomorrow. So looking still in Hebrews, if we jump ahead to Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews goes through this whole, it's sort of called the Faith Hall of Fame, and goes through this list of check out this person, check out this person, check out this person, check out Abraham and Isaac and Moses, and runs through this whole list And towards the end of that list says, by faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from from death. And I like that the author of Hebrews does not take the easy way out because then it's followed up with, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of goats and sheep, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Well, that's compelling, right? (laughs) We think, okay, that's exactly what I want to be signing up for. But to have rest in amongst that sort of situation, both people coming back from the dead, and being strong in battle and being cut in half and having to wear skins of sheep and goats, that we have rest, we have peace with God and hope for the future regardless of those circumstances. And I think sometimes within Christian circles we have this, this impression or this idea that God is gonna take rid of any like pain or hurt or um, challenge in your life. And that may be true, or maybe he will give you a an endurance, and a peace, and a perseverance, and a depth of understanding of who he is far beyond anything there. Um, and that's a hard message, but I do believe it's good. Um, and I think we see that in people, not just in uh, in scripture. We see that in more current examples. So. You probably don't recognize this picture, but this is Horatio Spafford. Um, He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer with a thriving legal practice, a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and a son. He was a devout Christian and a faithful student of the scriptures. At the very height of his financial and professional success, Horatio and his wife Anna suffered the loss of their young son. Shortly thereafter, on October 8, 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed almost every real estate investment that Spafford had. In 1873, Spafford scheduled a boat trip to Europe in order to give his wife and daughters a much needed vacation and a time to recover from, from the tragedy. He also went on to join his friends and well-known pastors, Dwight L. Moody and Ira Sankey, on an ev- evangelistic campaign in England. Spafford sent his wife and daughters ahead of him while he remained in Chicago to take care of some unexpected last-minute business. Several days later, he received notice from his, that his, from his family's ship had encountered a collision. All four of his daughters drowned. Only his wife had survived. With a heavy heart, Spafford boarded a boat that would take him to his grieving Anna in England. It was on this trip that he penned those now-famous words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, and has shed his own blood for my soul. This is the sort of peace that I think the 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 author of Hebrews is talking about, a peace that goes beyond the circumstances and, and that sort of rest in terms of having peace with God. Um, and that's a terrific example from a historical example. More recently, um, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. You're talking about somebody who who had a, a rest in his identity in God and his calling to speak out against oppression. And it's eventually cost him his life. And it's great to look at historical examples, but I think there's a lot of examples of things here within this church. And you've got people who are dealing with, in some cases, life and death sorts of realities um, and very real challenges. And and I think it's an opportunity that we have to be able to share with each other the things that are going on. And, And I have been so encouraged and challenged by people here in terms of the, the peace and the rest that they have with God um, through and in the midst of some very hard and real challenges. So, so we looked at what is rest, why is it important, and this, this third piece of how do we rest how do we actually go about doing rest? I, I'm, I'm a very sort of practical person. I like action steps. I like to-do lists. I like to be able to cross it off, and I, then I can say, done. I got rest now. <sighs> Unfortunately, I found most things related to, um, well, really any sort of relationship. It's not the kind of thing you say, cross it off, done. Um, I've done my piece. We're all good and clear now. These take a little bit more um, time, and it's, it's a little bit more elaborate. So three reasons, and these feel like really good Sunday school reasons, answers, right? Jesus, Bible, pray is the good Sunday school answers for people who grew up in Sunday school It's sort of like, ah, you got a question, you were napping, you weren't sure what to say, Jesus, Bible, pray is probably one of those. We're going Jesus, Bible, Holy Spirit, eh. <laughs> the next step above. But looking at Jesus, so back in Hebrews chapter four here, um, verses 14 to 16, it says, so then we have this great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, to let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That at the crux, that at the the core of it, this rest is completely impossible without Jesus. And for the for the followers of Jesus at that time who were Jews, this idea of you don't need a high priest to talk to God, that's incredibly re- revolutionary. Because the whole faith was based on on priests and that, that you could not have a direct interaction with God. And so all of a sudden we realize, okay, Jesus becomes our high priest that allows us to be right with God, that allows us to face God directly. That flips their beliefs and understanding on, on its head and quite frankly, if we really think about it, should ours too, that we again have the opportunity to know the ruler of the universe directly. Um, In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 to 30, um, Jesus says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and humble. And gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Um, one time when I was speaking here before, I mentioned it doesn 't say there 's no yoke it doesn 't say there 's no burden, but that the burden is if the yoke is easy to bear, and the burden is light. There are costs, there are challenges, there are awkward moments, hard conversations. Um, sometimes persecution, sometimes death that comes with uh, following Jesus. That Those aren't things that we necessarily experience here in this part of the world, but in other parts of the world, those are very real costs. Um, but yet, Jesus has promised and offered that sort of freedom and opportunity and rest. So Jesus, the Bible. Um, I thought it was interesting that this passage, Hebrews 4, 12 to 13, is, is butted right up into the, the passage on rest. Um, and and it's, it's, I think a lot of times we may have heard this passage sort of pulled out and stand alone about the word of God, right? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. That, in, In some ways, you read that and you think, okay, well, the author of Hebrews is saying the word of God is alive and powerful and we'll re- we're reading this as the word of God so that's kind of convenient that you say, hey, what I'm writing is powerful except that wasn't the word of God at that time, that, that came later so this would have been talking about the words that God had given to people at that time so this was, was new that was coming out to them and, and this, is, this is talking about how we, how we know rest um, and the idea of a two-edged sword, right? So it's a sword, it's got two edges. Cute, right? But this is a, like, a violent, destructive device. This is not a cute thing. This is not um, little tweezers from a Swiss Army knife that's gonna like pull out a little splinter. This is, this is an analogy of a violent instrument. And God uses that in our own lives here, that that nothing is in all creation is hidden from God, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable that that the bible God uses His word, the Bible, to speak his truth to us um, and one of my prayers for me for us is that we would be people who are like hungry and thirsty for God's word and for the opportunity to know him and to know that rest because that is a great way for us to understand and know the rest that God has promised to us CH Dodd said God is not to be trifled with his words cannot be ignored with impunity but must be received in faith and obeyed in daily life God's today has arrived let us take his word seriously and make haste to enter his rest. So the third piece of how we can know rest is through the Holy Spirit. Um, In Romans chapter eight, verse 11, it says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So our response is not to... um, do the same thing that the, the Hebrews were doing in this, this scripture of create another set of laws of, okay, well, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this, and then we will encounter rest. We need to, uh, we talked before, about a year ago, about spiritual disciplines, about creating fertile soil for God to work, but it is God, it's the Holy Spirit who is working, it's not up to us, it's not what we can do and accomplish on our own. And that's a good thing because otherwise we run into these same circles of, of running and trying and striving and we miss that, that opportunity and that point of rest. So we looked at what is rest, why is it important, and how do we rest? So I have two closing pieces here for you, a challenge and, and an encouragement. So the challenge is, is Jesus enough? Do we take the time to realize that we have this rest, that we have rest, we have right relation with God right now, and we have a, an eternal hope for the future? Do we, do we in our daily basis, recognize that? Um, a very spiritual example Some of you may be familiar with Family Matters, some of you weren't even born and have no idea what this is. Um, But this was classic 90s sitcom at its finest. Um, Steve Urkel, when he wasn't um, fantasizing about Laura Cheese or making a machine that turned him into Stefan Urkel, (laughs) was pestering the Winslow family. So I want you, for a moment, to pretend that you're Steve Urkel, right? So you live next door to the Winslow family. Except instead of living next door to the Winslow family and a, one of Detroit city's finest police officers, you live next to the British royal family, right? And not the British royal family that nobody likes. This is Wills and Kate and the baby George. Like this is the, you know, our, we love this royal family, right? These are the, the, like, they're powerful, they're elitist, but we don't care, we love them. And, and I want you to imagine you live next door to whichever house they're living at at that time. And you have a great relationship. Like, they're just good neighbors, and you're good neighbors with them. They're the kind that, you know, they say, hey, we're, we're going to run out and get some groceries because we decided to try cooking. Um, do you mind just coming over, watching baby George? He's just taking it. But just, you know, just make sure everything's all right. We'll be back in an hour. Oh, yeah, that'd be great, right? You have, like, a great relationship. You know, they'll water your plants when you're on vacation. Like, these are, are good people that you have this good connection with. And then I want you to imagine you're you're living next door to them, and you're about to, like, embark on this cross-country journey, right? You're, you're leaving. They, the royal family lives in Salisbury, and, and you live next door to them, and you're gonna, like, go cross-country, right? You're gonna You've always wanted to go to the Pacific Ocean. This has been your dream, so you're going on this journey, and you start start to head out on this journey, and and lovely Prince William comes out and says, "Well, right, well, you know, uh, if, if you want, we've got the private plane. <laughs> he's Australian now. Uh, we could just give you give you a lift on over." And he's like, "Oh no no no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Are you are you sure? Right? Yeah. No. I'm. I no, I'm good. I'm good." And he's like. Well, you know, it seems like you're struggling. It's like, no, no, I've got a scooter here. I'm going to be good. I'm going to make it. It's going to be scenery. It's going to be good. It's going to take a long time. Right, but, you know, like your scooter is, the wheel's broken. He's like, well, no, no, I got duct tape on it. It's good. It's great. You know, it, it would be ludicrous for us to think, okay, hey, I'd rather take a broken scooter cross country than catching a free ride from like a private plane. We, we would take advantage and jump at that opportunity. And sometimes I think we, we miss the fact and the opportunity that the point that we realize we know the ruler of the universe, who is the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, that he is way more powerful than a British prince who has thinning hair. He, he is the ruler of everyone and everything. And we have that same opportunity. And, and sometimes we, we completely miss that point and we miss, I know in my life, I get so distracted by the things that are in front of me that are so important and pressing that I miss that opportunity and I miss that, that life and that rest. So th- the challenge is, do we recognize that Jesus is rest? And do we take the time to recognize that? And then the encouragement is, is the recognition that Jesus is enough. Jesus is better. Jesus is the rest that we're looking for in our lives. And so my encouragement to you is t- this week coming up, take the time to to recognize that. Take a specific time before you start your day to realize who you are as a child of the king and the rest that we have. That this is better than relaxation tips and techniques, this is a different life that we lead. And this is a wonderful gift and opportunity that we have.